This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Your source for Big Ten Talk, it's Off Tackle Empire! Alright, and welcome back to Off Tackle Empire, the official Off Tackle Empire podcast. And we've had a week one uh, for the books in the Big Ten. Uh, yeah, the books being, you know, the, the records we have to keep so that we don't forget to do things like, you know, check the weather forecast before we schedule a game. Although, when the time is set that far, what are you going to do about it? Um, there, were, there were initially, of course, and we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but there were there was initially rumors going around that they were just going to play the game like the next morning. Yeah, uh, yeah, there was, it almost seems as though they had a preliminary agreement and somebody leaked it out, and then as soon as they found that out, they that it had been leaked, they didn't want to do it anymore. I, I don't know. There was I didn't know until uh, it was about eleven o'clock on Sunday that they would not play it. I didn't know for sure until then. Yeah. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if Nebraska ends up, you know, five and six, maybe going into that last week of the season if they feel like pulling the good old, uh, you know, Florida State and saying, well, we have to preserve our bowl streak. Except a little bit of a different story for Nebraska in that regard than it would be for Florida State. Yeah, uh, so that leads us to our Win Fight Try Rooster of the Week, which comes to us courtesy of New Holland Brewery, and it is Extra Time American Session Beer, because this is, of course, what we got in the Penn State versus Appalachian State game. We got some extra time, and uh, it was it was an extra, extra brutal way for the Mountaineers to lose a historic upset bid. They carried the hopes of a nation, and they took extra time to not see him through to fruition. And, you know, this also goes out to all the Nebraska faithful who sat around in the stadium in, you know, torrential thunderstorms waiting for hours for some word from the school about whether the game was going to be played or if it was going to be postponed, rescheduled, canceled, or what. Um, by all accounts, not exactly handled the best fashion by the Nebraska front office, but what are you going to do? It's, only, it's not like this is all you do for a living. And, of course, you had a delay in the Maryland versus Texas game. Was there, were there any other delays for Big Ten games? I mean, there was delays all over the place. No, although, you know, it would have been a good night for, I guess, the now disgraced and resigned Mark Hollis to break out his weather machine. He must have taken the weather machine with him, which could be a real problem for MSU later in the season. So, no other delays that I recall seeing. Um, was there a delay? No. I was just thinking there was a delay in the IU-Florida International game because that happened last year where, like, a hurricane hit during the game or something. I don't know. Nobody remembers what happens in Indiana. But, um, no, no other delays or anything that I remember. All we had was the one overtime game, the one game that was canceled. Um, so Scott Frost still has not, you know, led an offense to score any points here as Nebraska coach. And when are things going to – when's, when's the hot seat pressure going to turn up for Scott Frost? Got to be disappointed that a guy whose offensive credentials were hyped to the moon and back couldn't even put up – any points, not even any yards. Against Akron, no less. We were talking a, a, a quality MAC team, sure, but a, a MAC team nonetheless, and no nothing on the board at all from Scott Frost. Got to be, got to be stressful times there in Lincoln. So let's get back into last week's games um, in a more orderly fashion, though. We'll kind of hit them in the order they came up. Um, 
Minnesota and New Mexico State, you know, for a true freshman walk-on quarterback, Zach Anikstad looked pretty good. Yeah. Uh, however, Minnesota trailed uh, for what had to be a frustratingly long time in this one until, of course, they took our advice from last week's podcast and just handed the ball off and didn't do anything too cute. They realized, okay, we, we're, we're, we're out thinking ourselves. Let's just hand the ball off. We were in Big Ten there, New Mexico State. Let's just run it. Yeah, and they found good success with that. Um, Rodney Smith, as we thought would be the case, had decent yardage, decent efficiency. Uh, and they got the backups in there somewhat as well because, again, Fleck's preferred scheme is going to be to get more than one guy involved. So there's that. Um, not a whole lot to see from this, really. The defense was fine early, even giving up the touchdown fairly early in the game. It didn't really look like they were going to have any problems containing New Mexico State. It was just a matter of if slash when the offense decided to get it together. And, of course, as soon as New Mexico State went down, right, you had Matt Romero went 29 for 58. My goodness. Um, so he was trying. 58 attempts for 233 yards. Incredible. Uh, Tyler Johnson scored a pair of touchdowns for the Gophers. But, uh, in general, um, if you're a Minnesota fan, then, yeah, this is surely the next step on the road to the college football playoff. If you're anybody else... Well, Minnesota has a pulse, and they're better than a 500 Mountain West team. Mountain yeah, West? Uh, New Mexico State, maybe? Or are they are they one of the schools that got set adrift that doesn't have a Wait, coach? did they get kicked out of the Sun Belt? I thought they were a team that couldn't find a landing place after the WAC dissolved. Am I wrong about that? Did they do... I think they might be in the Mountain West now, but I know they were kicked out of the Sun Belt. Um, and that's, oh, yeah, they're an FBS independent. Yeah, no, they're, they're definitely... Uh, in, like an orphan planet when the star of the whack went supernova they just kind of drifted away into the endless cosmos wandering from paycheck game to paycheck game without a purpose much like byu uh and notre dame yes and indeed so moving on to utah related things speaking of byu there uh how much utah do you want to see as a state fan a michigan state fan no more for no more for now um and it look as we mentioned, as I mentioned last week, it's not like MSU was ever really that impressive in an opener. But you know, judging by the absolute amount of glee in the Off Tackle Empire Slack channel, you'd have thought Utah State was up by forty. It was a competitive game. Maybe it, you know, setting a twenty-three and a half point line on MSU in any game is easy money. If you were a gambling type and you saw that line, yeah, you absolutely take the points all day, and you'll it's it's free money. There's no way that MSU is going to cover that spread. Um, surprise to find out that Cole Chewins wasn't playing, so you're down starting left tackle from an offensive line that was already kind of a weakness. Uh, Utah State also returned pretty much their whole team from a team that went to a bowl, not as impressive a one as MSU did but they had plenty of guys and then they ran this up-tempo offense that MSU has always had fits with you know no matter how many times they see Indiana do the same thing every year that always has success and they weren't able to adjust to that either so they got kind of cut to death in the passing game with short completions not the kind of thing that makes me too worried about how Arizona State is going to approach it next week but yeah not an encouraging sign but you survive it at the end of the season if you end up having a good season this is not a game anyone's going to remember. Yeah, to be perfectly honest with you, I, <clears throat> yeah, and to be perfectly honest with you, I think that the takeaway from this is really more that Utah State is a pretty decent team because it's not like a game that was that close because of a bunch of bad things happening. I mean, obviously, yeah, you had the pick six thrown by Lewerke. When his receiver fell down. I mean, but, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm saying, though, 
Sometimes you have a contest like that because it was a really bad game, like Kent State, Illinois. But in this case, it just looked like (laughs) Utah State just had a very competent offense that was finding holes that were there schematically in the MSU defense. I think their tight end is probably going to be an NFL player. Um, The quarterback definitely fits this system that they're running, this, you know, hurry up, spread a lot, short throws. Um, Jordan Love, what a name, too. Yeah, pretty solid. And then most of the other receivers were unremarkable, but that tight end, I mean, time and time again, he was big enough that he was, you know, hard to cover on possession routes, but he got open downfield a couple times, too. He was a really good player. Very, very efficient game on the ground for LJ Scott. 84 yards on only 23 carries. That's the other thing about this game is it makes me wonder if and when we're ever going to see Connor Hayward go into more of a, at least a timeshare with LJ Scott, because he scored both of the rushing touchdowns on the night. He looked like the more dynamic back. Part of that might be because of the different play calls MSU used when he was on the field, but if the coaches are calling the more you know dynamic plays with this guy in the field, what does it say about their confidence in him? So it's always felt like the staff really, really, really wants LJ Scott to succeed. I don't think it's lost on anybody that he's the first guy they got from Ohio who Ohio State actually wanted. Um, but he maybe he kind of is what he is at this point, kind of this high volume. I mean, the comparisons that sometimes people make to Le'Veon Bell are ridiculous. Yeah, he hurdled a guy, but it was for like a five-yard gain. Um, making those comparisons just because he's kind of a slow, patient runner or not real. I mean, he's nowhere near that level of talent. I think Hayward, he's a completely different type of back, but he could end up being a real star if the staff ever gives him enough carries to let him do it. Yeah, and the problem that I found with the... L.J. Scott is, of course, what I was kind of waiting for to happen in that whole fourth quarter is just a squirt and just have the ball just fly out of his hands. He didn't fumble, I don't think. He did not. What I'm saying is I was expecting it, and it didn't happen. And hey, maybe he's improved that game. I don't know. You never know with a small with a small of a sample size. Yeah, I have to imagine it was a point of focus. I mean, on the other hand, because the two major backups from last year were both gone for graduation and transfer, it's not like there was a whole lot of pressure on him coming into the season. There should be now, though. I mean, again, Hayward only had a handful of touches, but he's good on kick returns as well. He looks like he could be a really dynamic player if the staff decides to utilize him properly. I remember when Rashard Mendenhall had fumble problems with the Steelers in camp. He was given a football uh, by the by the coaching staff and was then fined five hundred dollars any time he lost that football. Like at hours outside of training camp, he would have to continue <laughs> to hold on to this football yeah. until he got it back home. We, we hear these stories all the time. I I think the first I remember hearing of it. Uh, was with Beanie Wells at Ohio State. He It was probably like a fumble he lost, but because of the way Jim Trussell was in valuing possession, and valuing just having the ball, not necessarily scoring or getting lots of yards or anything, but just having the ball at all times, safe, cradled in your arms. Speaking of which, Wisconsin beat Western Kentucky 34-3. to uh, Okay, yep, sure did. Things I'll, occurred. I'll take your word for it. Did, did they? I mean... Things occurred. Jonathan Taylor got 145 yards on 18 carries. Wisconsin just kind of wisconsin their way to victory as Alex Hornibrook did not manage to throw an interception. There are two incomplete pass attempts by team um, for, of course, zero yards since they were not completions. Two incomplete pass attempts by team. What on earth could that possibly mean? I have no idea, but that almost rhymed. Team rushing thing is when you have kneel downs uh, because they don't want to penalize the quarterback for that. Who, that is truly a mystery to me. Why would they have ever spiked the ball? Well, I guess, huh? I guess that would like that. Could do you think be a they team, do this? Yeah. But, that's why, would, but why would Wisconsin have ever spiked the ball in this game? Because the card said spike the ball. <laughs> Fair enough. So Iowa 
had a very uncomfortable first half against Northern Illinois before, uh, you know, surviving some shanked field goals from the Huskies before pulling away and pouring it on late. Yep, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, Iowa had the 69-yard punt followed by the safety, which is the nicest play you will ever see. Um, party at the Kirk Ferentz household after that, so... My goodness, uh, Kirk Ferentz became the all-time winningest coach in the history of Iowa Hawkeyes football. Yeah, only took him, so he's been here, well, this is, is this his 19th or 20th year? Did he start in 99? Uh, yes, 99, so yep, 20th season. Um, so, you know, that's partially a function of longevity, but it's not, I mean, to get to that number, to be there that long, you have to be pretty good. Um, looking at what they had from a stat line standpoint, you gotta like the distribution in the offense in that they're getting all three of their backs involved. They had Young and Kelly Martin from last year who looked capable when they got opportunities and then they picked up a transfer, Mecky Sargent. All three of those guys got involved. That seems to feel like the time when Iowa's offense is at its best is when they're not trying to force feed one guy. I mean, I know they've had their seasons with Marcus Coke or whatever, where it's one guy running the ball 300 yards, but those are pretty one-dimensional offenses looking back on them. Uh, Nate Stanley with 4.7 uh, yards per attempt. Very, very Iowa. So, sure is. Sure is. Moving on to a Mac game that was a little bit closer. Illinois 31, Kent State 24. Illinois played the worst half of football I've ever seen in my goddamn life uh, in the first half. Of course, it didn't even take until kickoff, you know, for us to, for Illinois fans to get riled up about something because they announced that 13 players would be missing this game with various suspensions, injuries, red shirts of the academic or behavioral variety, which included six of last year's starters. Yeah, that was formidable because it, every successive year for the last probably three before this one for Illinois, it's felt like, okay, so next year they're going to be really young. But then after that, like they can't help but have a little more experience, right? This was supposed to be the year when finally it got to the point like there can't possibly be more freshmen and sophomores on this team than there were last year. But that's only if all the same guys come back. And... I'm almost positive we managed to somehow play all of our freshman defensive backs. I mean, we recruited like five or six. And well, they all got in the rotation. And this is finally where a rule change might actually work in Illinois' benefit, okay? Because if some of those... If some of those guys who are not playing for injury or suspension, if it's just a minor thing, um, then you can play these guys until you get your starters back in the fold and then still preserve the red shirt for any guys that really aren't ready to go yet. Well, isn't that lovely? We're finally getting uh, rule changes before the lack of that rule costs Illinois a game. Well, did we though? Because... Where would you be if Aaron Bailey had been able to preserve his red shirt after coming in for Wisconsin? I'm sorry, you bring this up so often that I feel like I was I was compelled, I was drawn to mention it. It was like <laughs> it was like the one ring or something. Yeah, that's fair enough. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's been plenty of situations. I mean, I can't tell you how many times in D'Antonio's tenure they've played some receiver in like the first game of a season and then never used him again. It's like, well, good thing he got in there for those six snaps. I think Cam Thomas uh, played just a little past that four-game requirement. Had the four-game maximum been in place last year, we preserved his red shirt, probably for a position change to receiver, to be honest. But <laughs> anyway, uh, against former Auburn quarterback Woody Barrett, uh, the Illinois defense, shorthanded though it was, really struggled. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I didn't know that they had that guy. He's uh, He was impressive. I mean, it, I know you're always going to want to pan Illinois' half of this equation, but... Barrett was a heck of a player, man. I mean, it, it kind of it looked a little bit like if you ever watch like kind of a low-level high school football game where the team puts their absolute best athlete at quarterback and he's like 
almost like he wasn't Barrett's not bigger than lineman or anything but he looks like he's got like a presence where it's like he this whole game is about what he does like if it's a highlight film you don't have to ask who it's a highlight film no of. They yeah, don't yeah. Need the they little don't need the little spotlight thing, thing it's like oh that's him that's the guy the giant guy who looks like he's moving in you know like fast forwarded time compared to everyone else but of course a guy with not a whole lot around him. Nah. Uh, we found him very difficult to tackle. However, uh, we also allowed him to make an awful lot of plays because, I mean, I was really disappointed by the defensive line. I was really disappointed by the offensive line. Uh, the only thing that was particularly encouraging uh, about this game was that at halftime they made adjustments and then uh, outscored them 28-7 to the rest of the way. Of course, in order for me to be, like, really convinced that those, you know, that the second half is more who they are, it would have had to be something like 56 to 17 final. Like, they, they would have really had to pour it on there at the end. Um, I get it, but I mean, does you, I don't know that your offense really has the capacity to do that. Um, it, and it we, was we supposed would, to. You know, he received the plaudits in the Player of the Week nominations through this establishment already, so maybe we're heaping too much praise on the young man, but Jake Hansen looks like a hell of a player for your defense as well. Yeah, I always, you know... I always uh, am skeptical of thinking, of, of trying to rely too much in my mind on players that are coming off of serious injuries. Like Hanson tore his ACL in camp last year, and it seems a huge loss, and we really struggled with linebacker depth. But uh, he came back to the form that he was promised to uh, play at last year, and probably single-handedly kept the game from being a blowout in the first half. Uh, of course, you can only say so much in, in, in his praise because of the rest of the team around him made it so that he had to single-handedly prevent us from being blown out by Kent State in the first half. Yeah, but I mean, if the choice is having that guy or not having him, pretty easy call. Um, yes, and of course, uh, later, a couple days later, we received news that made this officially the worst victory of all time. Uh, it was in the running with last year's Ball State win and yeah. that Youngstown State win a few years ago in Southern Illinois from 2013. But it's now the worst victory ever because Mike Dudek uh, took a helmet to the knee uh, near the end of the game, making a catch of a hospital pass over the middle and is now out for the season again, the fourth year in a row. And that's this is his sixth year of eligibility, correct? So it's his would, fifth year. Jeez, so he could theoretically he could in theory apply. apply for a sixth year, and there's no don't word on it, whether Mikey. or not he's going to do God, it. Mikey, don't um, do it. Man, he deserves to get through his season healthy, but I don't know what he'll do at this point. Well, he got through his freshman season healthy, didn't he? <laughs> because, yeah, so I'm saying maybe he that's to, all he's allowed. <laughs> that's kind of what it's a shame because like. the guy's been the face of the program despite not playing a full season since 2014, and doing so much work to get on the field so many times and having I mean this was not even the knee that he repaired twice and came back from this was a completely different knee and of course last year didn't wasn't even about the knee it was about a broken rib uh puncturing his kidney well, when do you ever get luck that bad yeah I you gotta feel for the guy really I mean not only, not only has he been through all these injuries but then just to during his rehab watch his team just ride the struggle bus like to said fucking Yukon and back like it it's been a long hard road for Illinois during his tenure there you have to think that his presence on the field probably would have helped sometime I mean well, in some capacity well if he gives up playing the game I'm hoping to see him on the sidelines as a graduate assistant we uh we need to give as much back to this guy as we can yeah for sure for sure I so please well you know what I I'm going to be really cynical here. If this is basically any other program in Power 5 football, except maybe Kansas, you could see it as a thing where now they rally around the, you know, their captain, uh, who they're, you know, their fallen captain, and make a run to a bowl game in, in, in honor of the career of a guy that was just 
beloved on and off the, for, for things on and off the field. But because it's Illinois, they're probably going to struggle to put away Western next week. Cool, cool. On to more uplifting things. Let's talk about Rutgers. Yeah, Sitkowski threw some footballs, uh, threw three picks, but the defense cruised. Sure did, sure did throw them, sure did throw the balls, and, you know, got to throw a catchable ball first, so. Yep, uh. the uh, Rex Grossman of Piscataway went and just uh, rifled it in there for all it was worth and found three defenders. You know, a positive sign here that even with a quarterback struggling in his first start as a freshman, they've got enough talent on the rest of the roster that they're able to win anyway, albeit against a bad opponent. That's got to be viewed as a step in the right direction. I mean, there have been teams they've had in the past where if they get this quarterback performance, they lose by 20 to Texas State. So this could have been worse. I mean, well, I mean, once again, we're living in very optimistic times. Uh, really, I think most of the Big Ten has to be pretty happy with the way that their teams performed. Uh, Rutgers, of course, being no exception. We had here a comfortable win against an FBS team, which, you know, as basic as that sounds, has been a thing that they've not really had for a while. And it's a sign that they're certainly in a higher plane of existence as a program than a couple of years ago. Um, they had a fumble recovery by Elorm Lumor, whose name I'm going to say as many times as I can on this podcast. Say it ten times fast right now. Elorm Lumor, Elorm Lumor, Elorm Lumor, So, you kind of just devolved... You kind of just devolved into like the hypno toad sound. <laughs> Essentially, I guess maybe that's. Um, <laughs> oh man, let's. We should stop digging deeper into his origin before you know people come for us. Hail Lumor. Uh, so, anyway, uh, yeah. Other than the turnovers, um, a lot to like from Rutgers. There uh, got the ball in the hands of a variety of players, and yeah, things are, are looking up. It, let's not get carried away and turn this into more than it is. Again, it's a win over a bad Texas State team, but. This is the sort of comfortable win that Rutgers hasn't had much of lately. Yep, and moving on to the other red team out on the East Coast, Maryland, in a game fraught with lightning and dick trips and just an emotional roller coaster throughout, managed to pull off a comeback and seal it with an interception against number 23 team in the land, Texas, who, as we all know, was back several times in the last few years. This may be the end of Texas being back for some time, though. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if this drives the fan base you know, to, to abandon Tom Herman in his second year there, correct? Second um, year. So, you know, it really looked like Maryland was the better team for much of this game, <clears throat> which, given how they've recruited, maybe shouldn't be un that unusual of a thought. But, I mean, we didn't have any idea what to think of this game going into it, right? But they, it looks like Kasim Hill is the starter. He looks very effective in the pocket. Um, they mixed Terrell Pigrom in there as a bit more of a runner. They've got a dynamic young player in Deshaun Jones. I hope I'm saying that right. I think it's Deshaun Jones. Um, the emphasis could be anywhere in that name. But scoring three touchdowns on his first four collegiate touches in this game, they're going to have to find ways to get the ball in his hands more often. I mean, obviously the efficiency will drop a little bit, uh, but he's a true game breaker, the likes of which you don't necessarily see in this conference all that regularly outside of Columbus. So uh, got to be a, a promising sign for Maryland fans that whatever it is that ends up happening with DJ Durkin, the program looks like it's under competent control, competent leadership, because for all their advantages and recruiting prowess and everything, Texas looked like a mess in this game. Um, that even an offensive performance, really the only difference in this game is that Maryland didn't make the big mistakes and Texas did. Three turnovers for the Longhorns, none for Maryland. Yep, and of course a, a near miss as uh, Jake Funk dropped the ball. Uh, however, you know, the funk, you, you, you got to have that funk, and the funk would not be given up so easily. We want the funk. All right. Got to have that funk. Uh, 
Trey Watson managed to not only rack up nine tackles for Maryland, but also rack up uh, rack 50 up fifty-two yards, yards for, for Texas. Texas rushing. Busy young man, you know. That's they talk about playing both ways as an as a bit of an abnormality, but playing the same side of the ball, you know, when you when you. Playing, playing two positions yeah. on the field opposing each other. Tackling that is a new one. Probably tackled himself a couple of times. Um, I know, you know, they were... Why, ESPN? Why? Stop it. Stop it! I think we can probably cut that one, Keanu. Um, all right. So, all right. we got to get moving. <laughs> yeah. Oregon State uh, traveled to Columbus and... Allegedly. It... <laughs> uh, so the score here is going to make you think maybe this was a competitive shootout and then Ohio State just pulled away and got on a roll. Uh, friend, that is not what happened. Um, Oregon State scored 31 points because Ohio State ran out of backups to get experience for it. We're just like pulling fans out of the stands. Like, you, you look like the, this helmet would fit you. Don't you get in here and play defensive end for a minute? So, uh, no, this was not a competitive game. If you want to ding Ohio State because they gave up 31 to an Oregon State team that started throwing the ball every down about three minutes into the game, you can do that. That's fine. Um, They're the most inconsequential 31 points in the history of football. No, the only thing that the only thing that really matters in this game is we got a full we got a full game sample size of Dwayne Haskins and uh, guess what Ohio State continues to not have a problem at a given position of great importance. Whoever would have guessed? Yeah, I mean I don't even like I don't even remember if that TJ Bortles guy they had last year was even any good at all. Man, he got drafted by the damn Jaguars. He's gonna have a miserable time as a pro. I'd much rather be in Haskins' shoes right now. I'll tell you what. On the 11th anniversary of the greatest game in the history of Michigan Stadium, uh, Appalachian so State damn near, so damn near, close. damn near gnawed away the foundations of Beaver Stadium. But you know, you know what it was. And first of all, I so we don't necessarily talk much about NFL on this. Uh, Matt Millen, commentator who often does Big Ten games, was the former Detroit Lions general manager. He is loathed here in the Detroit area, but there's been kind of a turn recently because he's very ill, um, so much so that I didn't know he was going to be commentating at all. And when I was listening to this game, I was like, well, that sounds like Matt Millen, but it can't be him. Um, my point in saying all that is I've always liked him as a commentator. Um, but you can't ignore the fact that he's the architect of an 0-16 Lions team. He is, yeah. He but... is the principal responsible for this. And, you know, if, if my parents hadn't loved me and had raised me to be a Lions fan, then I'm, I would probably feel differently about him, but I'm indifferent. So what Matt Millen said, though, was absolutely spot on. It's unusual that I agree so completely with a commentator. When App State took scored the touchdown to take the lead 38-31, Millen said they scored too early. They left too much time on the clock. He was yeah, exactly right fact, about that. He was exactly right. I, I was thinking that at the time, but uh, Penn State's defense had been fairly stingy with App State on that drive, except then on that run, it almost just, as he was running into the end zone, I was really hoping he would get tackled inbounds. Yeah, like, like fall down and then take most of the rest of the clock to score your touchdown <laughs> and don't leave him any chance because... No, once when Penn State, it was really, it felt, I felt like there was no way that the game was going to end in the upset once they got that, once Penn State, after the touchdown that put them behind, they get the big kick return, kickoff return from KJ Hamler, comes out basically to like midfield. And out of all that, it looked like he was just going to fair catch. He kind of hesitated and he's like, oh, no, I'm going to go. And he goes and he gets out to, I think, like the 54 or 56 or something. Saw the crease just at the right moment. 
Yeah, and that set, it set them up such that they're already, they only need one ball from McSorley basically at that range. So, um, and yeah, sure enough, once they scored that tying touchdown, you could you could sense that App State had kind of given everything they could to get the game to that point, and they were not going to pull and it And that's how those upsets go, is that you got the, you, you know, you're longer on athletes, and it really shows late in the game. App State was tired. I knew they wouldn't really last in overtime because Penn State was just able to rotate fresher guys in and, you know, had more endurance anyway as a program and you know some commentary i've seen about this game has been well didn't we tell you that penn state was going to struggle without joel moorhead they scored 45 points i mean app state's not a great defense but and it did take him overtime to get there but still 45 points and it doesn't look like there's any shortage of playmakers i mean other than hamler coming up big down the stretch maybe a couple of receivers left something to be desired but that's less about the coordinator than about the personnel they looked fine from a schematic standpoint yeah, I believe former Illini coordinator Tim Banks is still in charge of their defense, so it makes sense how they gave up 38 points. Um, maybe well, he's I mean, reverting to form. There's that in the fact that Appalachian State's quarterback definitely came to play. I mean, to kind of swing back to the Michigan State game as well, Jordan Love played far better than I thought some sophomore from the Mountain West ever would. So, you know, sometimes that happens. The opposing players run scholarship too, right? Yeah. Yeah, I just wanted to give Woody Barrett credit for want to make sure. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe Western Illinois is really stud in 4A high school. So Michigan at Notre Dame is what we're going to talk about after we talk about Indiana defeating Florida <laughs> International 38-28. to Yep, you had to bait you in with that one. But I saw not a snap of this game, and taking a look over the box score and having viewed a view of the highlights, um, kind of an unusual one. So Indiana had pretty good performance out of Peyton Ramsey, who won the quarterback job. They went in kind of an unexpected direction to work around Morgan Ellison being gone. They give a bunch of the carries to Stevie Scott, a freshman who I don't think anybody expected to be a big part of that equation. And they get true freshman Michael Penix Jr. in at quarterback during a competitive game without an injury to the starter. They just played the kid. He's the mighty Penix Laser, the cause of every scream. Uh, it's weird. He's credited twice on the stat sheet here. I'm going to have to edit that song in there to make that joke land. But he's credited twice on the stat sheet here uh, with both with two times going 8 for 10 for 96 yards and a touchdown. That's a great consistency. You love to see that. Oh, and he also rushed two <coughs> times for 8 yards and then two times for 8 yards, apparently. Wop Fillior continues to have a tremendous name. <laughs> and I'm just, I'm, I'm very, very uh, taken with a lot of the names in a lot of these games, really. Well, and if I remember right, Wop's, Wop Fillior's name comes from exactly where you think it would. If I remember right, I don't remember where I saw this name. It was on like BTN Media Days or something. It said that they call him that because when he was a little kid, he really loved Whoppers from Burger King. And so they called him Wop, <laughs> and now he is Wop. Uh, <laughs> All right. So it's, it, you know, I do appreciate when things... Just kind of line up like that. Like, well, he eats a lot of Whoppers, so we call him Wop. Wop. All right. So, um, the insufferable, of course, uh, happened in South Bend, and Shay Patterson might not be the Messiah after all. I don't think he was the problem. Um, no, he was not. But his... I don't know what Michigan was doing on offense. They just... I don't think that they ever realized... <clears throat> I think that they thought it was a 120-minute game because, man... You ever seen an offense trailing late in a game with less urgency? Yes. Brady Hoke's offenses did that. (laughs) Brady (laughs) Hoke's offenses did that all the time. Um, So he's less known more Brady? This was not an encouraging sign in a lot of ways. So first of all, the simple stuff. Okay, first of all, Michigan still does not have one offensive tackle when you have to play two at a time. Um, No offense to the guys who are playing that position for them now, but man, they got beat a couple of bongos all night against it by a pretty good Notre Dame front. But boy, if that's what you've got against Notre Dame, what are you going to do against Wisconsin, Penn State, 
Ohio State, even Michigan State, not to the same extent. I mean, Northwestern has a defensive front that can pressure you. And, I mean, that's that was just their front four. They were not bringing blitzes no, for the most part. No, there was, I mean, for the most part, they, I mean, they mixed things up. They used, used some different three-man and four-man fronts. Um, but the kind of talent Notre Dame has is good, but they're not Ohio State. They're not Penn State. That That's going to be a problem. And then just schematically, it still kind of feels like Patterson's maybe a little bit of a square peg in a round hole. Um, this whole offensive system that Michigan's running, I don't get it. I don't get what they're trying to do because they threw in a bunch of shotgun, five wide, empty set stuff last night. But then they would go straight back under center with two tight ends, fullback, running back. And I'm like, how can you possibly expect your players to know all these formations in sufficient detail for any of this to work. And it just didn't. It didn't work. Yeah, I mean, they, they essentially tried to run two different offenses um, when really I think the most effective quarterback to run that offense was Dylan McCaffrey, who made some easy throws in his time in relief of Patterson. But yeah. the guy's the guy's a tree, six foot five, six all of six foot five, and just, you know, seemed like the quarterback that should be in the offense Jim Harbaugh wants to run. But it's almost like he just panicked in the week of practice leading up to this game and was like, well, you know, Patterson's shorter and more mobile, so we better put in a package for Patterson. And, like, you know, it seems like he was just way more rattled by this game than you would have expected from somebody of his experience. Talking about Patterson or Harbaugh? Harbaugh. Yeah, I, I sort of agree. And on more of a big picture level, though, because at this point in the program, I mean, he, McCaffrey was his big quarterback recruit, right? I mean, yeah, he recruited Peters before that. But I mean, McCaffrey was the five-star top was the 50. recruiting coup for and, Harbaugh here. And like you said, what we saw from him today, he really looks like he fits this offense like a glove. I mean, the fact that he's not mobile would be a little bit... Of, you know what I think it is? The fact that they decided to get Patterson and then go with him is they knew this offensive line was going to be a problem. Maybe a problem that they didn't have the personnel to fix right now. So that's the, that's the route they decided to go, was finding a guy who would at least be able to evade pressure enough to stay alive. And Patterson did that to some extent, but I also think maybe because of how bad the line was, he started you know running into some pressure that might not have been there if he had sat in the pocket another second or two. But man, you know, if you go back to those, uh, those last couple of Stanford teams that Harbaugh had, and then you told me that he would go to Michigan where his team would run the ball 33 times for 58 yards... Uh, I would not believe you. That yeah. is just unthinkable. It's hard to figure out um, exactly why there's been... I mean, the Big Ten now is not that much better than the Pac-12 was back then, is it? But I know. <laughs> That's exactly how I feel. Like, it, it was pretty funny last year, and it still is kind of funny to me that this Harbaugh thing's like not quite the, uh, the ride of a lifetime that it was hoped to be. But now I'm, you know, much... I'm a bit over laughing at it, and I just... Now I'm just bewildered as to how it's happening because i actually thought it was a sure thing that oh yeah as as much as i did not want it to happen i had to th when they hired him i thought yeah that's probably gonna work out for him um it still could but this is the season when it had to right and this was not an encouraging first sign um so let's let's try to take a look at, at the silver lining thing for all the many fans of michigan football who um subscribe to the podcast listen to you know read the blog and and enjoy our content just want something to hang on to uh ambry thomas uh kickoff return touchdown that was pretty good um you gotta like that uh in spite of the roughing the passer penalty he got which i thought was kind of dicey um chase winovich played him i mean he made himself some money tonight or not tonight i mean this game was saturday but made himself some money this weekend i think he's a lot better player than rashawn gary gary's gonna get drafted higher because he's bigger and more nfl-y but chase winovich i think is a better college player i think he's the best player on michigan's team um yeah quite possibly you know other than that devin bush had some moments but 
also had some plays where he made the wrong read and gave up a first down. So, yeah, really, that's about it. Ambry Thomas, Chase Winnebus, shows the guys I'm giving some credit to today for Michigan. That's all. I'm, I mean, I'm Spartan, man. That You should be lucky you even got that. Yeah, well, disgracing the Big Ten Conference is not going to get you the positive reviews that you so desire. So, nor will it get you the headlining billing for our review, which is going to go to Northwestern at Purdue. The only the important game. game of the week, because it's the only game of the week that determines who goes to Indianapolis. And boy, what a game it was. Um, I'm not even being facetious about that. Really quite a good game. Um, there's going to be some things about this that make both fan bases kind of you know, gnash their teeth a little bit. Obviously, you take the win if you're Northwestern on the road, week one conference game. But you do, you sure tried to give it away, didn't you? What's going on with this pitch count? Yeah, Pat Fitzgerald tried to coach himself right into a loss. So Spending a little too much time at Wrigley, I guess. Hanging out with them cubbies. <laughs> yeah, come on. They only, they only found out about baseball a couple of years ago. I don't know why you should bother hanging out with those fans. But he, what he did was, you know, we went through all the rigmarole of bringing back Clayton Thorson to much fanfare only to then take him out after two drives yeah two drives and it's not like the game was in hand just two drives here so why bother trying to split the difference with thorson here so on the one you can look at this one of two ways all right on the, on the one hand yes why bring him back if he's not ready to go aren't you risking further injury contrary wise if he's ready to go but you're still concerned he's not fully back don't you want to give him a little bit of game action i mean i can see how this argument might go both ways um, it's still kind of a goofy way to approach a competitive game like this. I'd kind of think if you're going to put him in there at all, he's got to be able, and you could tell he, he doesn't move the same way that he did before. Maybe he will eventually, but he sure didn't in that, uh, in this game. Um, other than that, you know, again, if you're Purdue fans, you're disappointed by this loss, but you can't, it's, you're still a little bit ahead of schedule here, right? Because your team is still very fun to watch. Um, Saw some encouraging signs after getting down 14 nothing. They didn't give up. Rondale Moore is a game-changing athlete. Yeah, the, the likes of which, again, we, we kind of mentioned this with Ja'Shawn Jones a little while ago. Not the site type of kid that we see in this conference every day, non-Ohio State division. Um, yeah, absolute dynamo. Took a long swing to the house. Um, took a long rushing attempt to the house. Northwestern lit up that Purdue defense early, but late in the game, the Boilermakers clamped down and were just about ready to give the offense back the ball with about two minutes to go until Lorenzo Neal just could not help himself from dragging and throwing the ball carrier to, uh, what was that, Larkin, to yeah. the ground uh, well after the whistle. He just couldn't help himself. One of the few relevant senior players on Purdue's roster, um, again, thought of as one of their kind of NFL caliber defensive players. I think he's a captain of the defense, if I'm not. I could be wrong about that. I don't know. Who knows about Purdue football? But um, you hate to see that. That's that's a kind of boneheaded mistake that really, I mean, if there was any chance they had of coming back and tying this game, you know, they didn't after that play. So, all right. Yeah, it's just a bewildering way to lose a game and just was really a frustrating way for a really great game to end. I wanted to, you know, even had I no rooting interest, you know, you want to see Purdue get there and play the game and then not even allowed to really do that because one of their senior captains made a terrible, terrible decision. Maybe captain. We don't know. Anyway, um, yeah, it was a game where even on a weeknight, I wouldn't have minded overtime in this game. It was that interesting. So um, last game, uh, very not interesting. Zero out of 10 on the interest scale. Um, Akron at Nebraska, just absolute dullard of a game. Um, boy, you get you get any highlights out of this whatsoever? Uh, there was a whole controversy over whether or not Nebraska would in fact be paying Akron. Come on. You really think they're going to stiff Akron? There was a whole fun thing that came out of the agreement that they signed before the game that's saying that uh, you know the contract would be void in cases such as uh, civil war, uh, insurrection, <laughs> insurrection, act of God. Yeah, that's, 
That's your standard boilerplate that's in every contract. Military seizure, military uh, <laughs> governmental seizure of the stadium. Right. Um, you know, you, you pay Akron there, okay, because first of all, you're, you're in Nebraska. About 25% of the GDP of the state goes into the football program. Uh, and beyond that, if you don't pay Akron, good luck ever getting a MAC team to schedule you again, or any group of five team, or FCS team for that matter, because as much as they like the competition, as much as they like visiting your stadium, they really like your money more. So uh, if you don't pay them, good luck ever getting anyone to play you ever again. All right, moving on to week two. Let's uh, get our lightning round preview in here because we put the week in week two with a lot of the schedule. New Mexico at Wisconsin. Nope. Yep, it'll be a repeat of last week for the Badgers. Probably 34-3, probably identical score. Carrying on. Western Michigan at Michigan. Uh, you know, there's enough remnants of the P.J. Fleck era here that maybe it could be interesting. Western still has a couple good running backs, but no. I mean, Syracuse is, annihilated them last week. Yeah, and this is the type of game where Michigan's preferred playbook of, you know, power O times 50 is going to work. Well, provided yeah. that they choose to use that playbook as opposed to the Shea Patterson package. What yeah, do you think? Yeah. Do you think Harbaugh panics and overreacts and outthinks himself against Western Michigan? I don't even know anymore. Well, the spread's like 27 points, so if you mean overthink and overreact such that this game might ever actually be in question, no. Um, if you mean overthink and overreact such that you have to watch the whole game to get to the spread, maybe. Uh, but I don't think. Emu at Purdue. It should be a nice bounce back game. Um, I wonder if after the multiple interceptions of the you know head scratching variety, if we might see a little more David Blau in this, or if that issue has been resolved in favor of Sindelar. And the con- Sindelar made some pretty good throws, and then made three of the worst throws of his career. And that may be a calculus that Brahm is willing to live with. Um, Sindelar definitely fits. He reminds you more of Brandon Doughty from Brahm's successful days at Western Kentucky, such that that's probably the what he's really looking for in a quarterback. Blau's a useful change-up to have, uh, but I think Sindelar is his guy going forward. So anyway, all of that is to say that don't worry about this game, Purdue. Eastern is really not that good. They're better than they historically have been, but they're not going to be a threat to Purdue. Purdue should roll pretty easy. All right, Rutgers out of Ohio State. Oh, God. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. If you're a Rutgers fan, you just want to see it get a little bit closer than the last couple of years. Sure, been. yeah. It's possible that it is just because yeah, maybe yeah. you leave your starting defense out there long enough they can... They get to a level of the depth chart of Ohio State that you can actually stop them. Yeah. So what, you think maybe 42-nothing, 42-3? I think Rutgers would take that every day. Yeah, I agree. Moving on, Maryland. That would be big progress, Mike Rutgers. Um, Maryland Maryland at Bowling Greens. At at Bowling Bowling Green State. These happen happen once in a while. Um, MSU had the series over the last few years. They played games at Central and at Western. We bought out out a game at Western (coughs) Michigan a couple of years ago. Yeah, I, I don't know why exactly Maryland's playing us on the road. I assume it's the act of some deranged former athletic director, and there's probably several Maryland fans out there who'll be happy to tell us the whole story in, in accurate detail. We don't want to know. You don't. Please don't add us. Um, as far as the game goes, Bowling Green is not the outfit it was a few years ago under Dave Clawson. They've fallen pretty far back into the muck of the Mac. I like that turn phrase, muck of the Mac. Anyway, the Mac muck. They don't pose much of a threat to Maryland. Um, this will probably be a game where Maryland looks to keep it pretty vanilla, run up a margin early, and then put it in cruise control. Moving on from the Mac Muck to the Ack Uck. UVA at 
IU, IU, IU. I don't know anything about Virginia except that their quarterback left for the NFL. So... As did their starting safeties, who were a very good tandem. Oh, that's right. Quinn Blanding and What's-His-Face. Um, definitely a couple of guys. So, anyway, I mean... A couple of dudes. A couple of... Well, this is in Boston College, so... Uh, can't, they're not, can't not a bunch of dudes. Can't verify if they're dudes. So... I don't know what to think about this game. I mean, Indiana had a decent result, but they did give up 28 points to FIU, but it's a Butch Davis FIU. I can Who talk knows? myself in circles on this all day. I, I got no idea. I, mean, I would say Indiana by it's seven. In, it's in Bloomington, yeah. I'd, think, I'd like to think IU can manage a game against a bottom-tier ACC team, right? At home, give me this win, Indiana. Come on. Uh, Western Illinois at Illinois. If you go on the Champagne Rooms channel and go to the We Know You Have Sand podcast uh, post-game reaction, uh, listen through the end and you'll hear me just yell all the things that I want about this game in about a two-minute rant. I just want this to be a complete domination start to finish. There's no reason it shouldn't be. We have a massive talent advantage. Let's do it for Dudek. Come on. I'm going to be there. I will be reporting live from the game. Western Illinois have any former like Auburn or like LSU quarterbacks. Not that I'm aware of, and I spent an embarrassingly long time pouring over their <laughs> roster. Making sure. I spent much more time than you really should be spending as a Big Ten fan uh, looking over and making sure that we had the definitive advantage against Western Play, Illinois. <laughs> playing minesweeper with the roster. All right. Um, so moving into kind of the more interesting group of games. Well, we have Michigan State get firm for Herm. Well, we got Fresno, Minnesota first, but we'll yeah we'll go ahead to MSU, ASU. Um, this was always going to be a bit of a challenging game because it's on the road, it's at night, time change. It's going to be hot. The the high in Tempe that day is over a hundred degrees, and it's going to be hot without Herman Edwards staring lasers at the MSU sideline. Yeah, and and MSU had some cramping issues with the game in East Lansing last week, which sure humid and everyone says oh but Arizona's a dry heat yeah it's still 95 at game time is supposed to be the approximate temperature if I remember right so and the other thing is a late kickoff that's actually a lot not quite as bad as it could be right 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 you gotta do that then like a 330 kickoff or something but uh I don't know if they even I don't think they do that in Arizona games in September because it would be like unsafe for the fans and the players and so in any case this was gonna be a bit more of a challenge regardless of how last week went. Got some um, elite athletes there on Arizona State. From yeah. Manny Wilkins, stud quarterback, to Nikhil Harry, just an all-purpose athlete. Yep, any any NFL moonlighters out there will want to remember the name Nikhil Harry because he's probably going to be a first-round selection at wide receiver. That said, MSU actually did pretty well against deep throws against Utah State, and they tried a few. Um, Justin Lane was good on the outside. Kari Willis was good on the outside. So even without Josiah Scott, the secondary looked okay against deep passes last week. I don't know Arizona State's playbook that well, but with receivers like that, I would think you'd be testing down the field more often. Um, Tell you what, Nikhil Harry uh, pulled one of the... You hear about juking an entire defense. Nikhil Harry did actually beat the entire defense single-handedly on one play, just actually broke free of tackles from pretty much everybody and then ran around the other ones as they over-pursued. And granted, UTSA is a pretty bad team. You like to think maybe that won't happen, but no, Arizona State's a team MSU should beat, but the line on this game I think is down to like six and a half now after last week's results. And I'd expect a shootout. Maybe. I guess we'll see. I I don't really know what to expect of this game either because I don't know how many of MSU's problems against Utah State might have been self-inflicted. Once they 
opened up the quarterback run game in the fourth quarter, for example, Utah State couldn't do anything with it. So They can't afford to stay conservative here, I don't think. No, I wouldn't think they'd view this as a game where they play things close to the vest. Maybe they hold one or two things back, because they usually do for Michigan. Um, but this is probably going to be one where pretty much whole playbook's on display. I would expect MSU to win this. Um, but what have we learned about MSU covering the spread? Yep. Minnesota will host Fresno State, and we'll see how much of their playbook they want to give away because Fresno State won 10 games under Jeff Chedford last year. Yeah, so, although I think if I remember right, this is a pretty healthy spread for Minnesota going into it, was it not? Well, that's what a hype machine like P.J. Fleck is going to do for you. And granted, it is at Minnesota, but still, the Gophers should get a bit more of a test here from Fresno than they did last week. Um, I expect it to be a bit more competitive, but still, you're at home. It's a group of five team win this game. Yep. Uh, that's about all there is to be said about that. So, Duke at Northwestern. Well, we know how this ends, and Northwestern loses this game. <laughs> that would be very predictable. It would be. Uh, I don't but know, I mean... like It's also I, pretty foreseeable. So maybe Northwestern will pull a classic Northwestern, give us a result we don't expect, and win the game they're supposed to win early in the season. What, 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 would, be un, what would be truly unexpected at this point? What's, what's a possibility that we wouldn't realistically consider for Northwestern? If this game was really undisciplined, because... Yeah. Actually, Duke plays really like clean as well. Yeah, it would it would be really surprising if there were like, like seven combined six. turnovers yeah. and like twelve penalties or something. Um, I'd expect this to be a pretty straightforward game. Uh, I think Northwestern's the better team, but this just it has Northwestern as classic Northwestern loss written all over it. So yep. Because I haven't seen anything at Duke this year, I don't know what to expect from them. I'm gonna go ahead and say they're gonna win. Why not? Colorado at Nebraska. What could possibly go wrong with playing? Colorado, your old Big 8 rival that you played in 2001 that one time in the Big 12 uh, on your way to that national title game. Uh, what could possibly go wrong for Scott Frost's real coaching debut? Yeah, you're only starting a true freshman quarterback now against a Power 5 defense, albeit, you know, Colorado, not really. Not exactly Alabama, but... But Colorado's offense looked good, albeit against a weak Colorado State defense, but Steven Montez is the truth, the quarterback. That's true. Um, I wouldn't expected them to have replaced Cephal Lufile that well within a couple of years, given where their recruiting is, but... Well, Montez did step in very admirably for Lufile in years past. Uh, yeah, this is how you know I play some this college is, fantasy. <laughs> this is a Colorado Buffaloes podcast, so... Uh, yeah, it... If you're a Nebraska fan, isn't this kind? Don't you want an auspicious beginning to the game? Like, do you really want Akron to be the first game of the Frost era? If Scott Frost is going to be the success you think he's going to be, don't you want something dramatic and memorable? Um, you know, former conference opponent from bygone days of glory. Maybe you get back to that playing. Old, hey, you know, Nebraska like fans, that. would you take 2001? It's not 1997, but would you take 2001 over 2017? Or any other interceding years, basically since like 2009. So anyway, Penn State at Akron. Um, by Akron, I of course mean Pitt. Akron getting really busy, playing a very tough Big Ten schedule here. Um, so yeah, this as we, th I think this game is probably going to come out kind of like it did last year. The since James Franklin arrived, the talent disparity in this matchup has gotten substantial. Um, uh, that was true until. Uh, just before the first week of the season when Pittsburgh received an upgrade at quarterback in the form of Jeff George Jr. That who, is where he ended up, isn't it? <laughs> who been... is now a Panther and is now one of Yins. So, Heavy you know, <laughs> the question is, is Jeff George going to be throwing it downtown out there by the creek? Uh, Thumbasaurus, for those of you who don't know, um, has a very important person in his life who is a Stillers fan, as the saying goes. Well, she likes to go shop at the Giant Eagle. 
<laughs> it's such a bad accent. And it's like they're close to us geographically, too. I understand how it's so noticeable. Um, I'm sure people down south would tell us that we sound the same as them. Yeah, well, if they go down, if they go down south, then, uh, you know, they should just get out of town. Anyway, so... <laughs> you got any thoughts about the game, or...? <laughs> not really. Penn State ought to win this one in a blowout. <sighs> yeah, we said that against App State, too. I don't know. Maybe, maybe whatever issues... Yeah, for whatever reason, if you tell me that they're playing Pitt and App State, I would say App State, they're more likely to lose. Maybe, you know, there's probably a motivation imbalance here. Um, maybe that makes up for the talent differential. Probably not. I mean, I still, I like Pat Narduzzi. I root for his success as the only ongoing branch of the D'Antonio coaching tree that didn't wither immediately. Um, but I don't think he's going to win this game. So Now in our last game of the week, the a tradition of like a tradition like no other. El Asico! All right. So... Iowa State will go to Kinnick Stadium and bring with them uh, how many of those five-star skill players that they had last year? They still um, have one of those guys, right? Just to, I don't know if he was a five-star, but David Montgomery yeah. is the only prominent member of that group that's back. Um, fair to wonder if Matt Campbell's rather impressive coaching job last year was partially a function of having all that great skill talent, uh, which is well-suited for the Big 12. I mean, I, Iowa really ought to win this game, right? Have we had any word on whether all those suspended players are back for them or not? Yes, they are. The, uh, all four, four of them? Yes, the, what, four and a half minutes of the game that they played apparently counted four times served, and all of the Iowa State players will very conveniently be back in time to face the Hawkeyes. Yeah, so, and then, like, when I heard this story, I, I, I didn't think it could be real, because it seemed like, I know, that, you know, make your jokes about Sparty or whatever, I don't give a shit what you think. Uh, so, Iowa State had a number of players suspended. Their first game of the season... Uh, also affected by weather, and so canceled, correct? I believe canceled, yes. And But the game, they, they got a little bit of it underway, and because that game was partially underway uh, <laughs> when the game was canceled, it comes down from uh, Jamie Pollard, um, captain of the, of the good ship Ames, that that game would count as the suspension for all of those players, um, and that they'd all be available for Iowa. <laughs> I don't know, man. I I don't know what else to say. I I quit. I don't give a shit about what coaches do with discipline, honestly, because there's so much. I mean, we saw we see this with the Urban Meyer thing too, right? Like, is there really any rhyme or reason for determining how long a guy should be out for what crime or Let's rule violation? This. Probably not. Suspended head coaches went three and zero this week, so <laughs> right. So what can you really say for if, that? If you get some kind of jollies out of thinking that you root for a morally superior program, yes, Iowa fans, we're talking to you. You go right ahead and do that. Um, just know that you're you're kind of whistling past the graveyard on this because whatever you choose to believe is pure and true about your program, it's not. <laughs> you're wrong. And sooner or, sooner or later, you're going to find out. I found that out. Everyone I know who cheers for Penn State or Ohio State, Maryland, Rutgers, Indiana, they've all found it out at various times. Your time is coming. So by all means, in enjoy this self-righteousness while you can, because the longer and the louder you blare about how, more, how much superior you are to everyone else, the worse it's going to feel when you learn the truth. Well, see, I, I think that there's not really that many um, particularly uh, unctuous things happening at Illinois because... We're so bad that somebody's always wanting to get whoever's in charge out of there, which means that they can't get away with anything. Yeah, so everybody's always being watched. It's, it's, it's like being the Illinois governor. Like, of course you're going to do some shit, but you're going to be caught. So what if, if anything, 
I assume that Illinois politics is more transparent than elsewhere. Not cleaner, you'll understand, but more transparent in that we're always looking for whatever's going wrong there. Um, you know, other places where people are not regularly caught doing things like trying to sell a Senate seat, um, nobody's thinking to look for that stuff. So it's probably going on more there, more in other places than it is in somewhere like Illinois. So anyway, who's going to eat it this week? Some program is going to absolutely step in it, uh, specifically someone hyped up, probably, or somebody against uh, an inferior conference opponent, if you will. I'm seeing on this schedule Mississippi State coming into this Kansas State game at Kansas State with, uh, what, a number 16 ranking? Has any, hasn't anyone learned about playing at Kansas this State? This just what? seems too Who obvious. Who agrees to this? If you're, in, if, like, if you're in the Big 12, you have to do it, okay? That's, that's the rule. But if you're not in the Big 12, what do you get out of playing a game with Kansas State? Like, they had, they've had a couple seasons this century where they've been, like, top 5, top 10. But other than that, they're just kind of there, like, this big rock for you to trip over. Like, no one's going to give you credit if you avoid tripping over a rock. But if you do, everyone's going to point and laugh at you. They're like North Dakota State, but without winning championships. Right. Which is funny, because remember when North Dakota State beat them at Kansas State a few years ago? Yeah. There's a meeting of the minds there. But anyway, uh, I'm seeing that as Mississippi State being one of the first SEC hype balloons to deflate. We'll see. I don't know. Do we know? Did we ever find out how long Nick Fix, Nick Fitzgerald's suspension was just the one game, right? So he's gonna be back for this game. That kid can ball. I don't know. I mean, I, I see what you're getting at. The venue is certainly appropriate. Um, my choice here would be Wyoming at Mizzou. Um, Missouri with the projected first round quarterback in Locke um, seemed to have righted the ship a little bit last year towards the end. Um, it would be a very Mizzou thing for them to stumble at this particular. Oh boy! But the question is. Can their can any deficiencies that they had last year be replaced by their new offensive analyst, Garrick McGee, former Illinois offensive coordinator? Ooh, ooh boy. When you're uh you're reaching into the pool of failed Illinois assistant coaches for your staff hires, uh you're really you're really reaching for the stars. Missouri is like obsessed with poaching things from us like like almost like a Vikings Packers things thing, except like we don't win like the Packers do, so I don't really <laughs> understand why they keep doing it. And then, of course, the last one is going to be Valdosta State hosting TBD, according to ESPN's schedule sheet. Right. So we, we were reviewing the schedule, preparing for this segment, um, as we rigorously do every week. And we noticed that one particular entry did, did not have an opponent listed. Rather, it just said TBD at Valdosta State. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I think, are going to have a big advantage in this one. Yeah, even with Jameis Winston being a little bit of a bonehead, making some bad decisions at quarterback, really got to like the talent advantage for the Buccaneers in this one. No. The Buccaneers. Uh, <laughs> yes, so. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh,. No, Valdosta State instead hosts Fort Valley State um, by consulting their athletic department website. Um, Valdosta State apparently won one last week. Yeah, they won uh, forty-five to fourteen. So that was a that's a pretty good result. Um, not sure why this information wasn't available to the worldwide leader in sports, um, but this is a game where we feel you needed to know about it. This has been your Valdosta State Blazers Power Hour podcast featuring. Uh... Your source for Big Ten talk, it's Off Tackle Empire!